0: Week 22, faithfulness will change it. Well, last week in our study of Acts, we studied how Paul walked in the power of the Holy Spirit, ministered to a group of men in the church of Ephesus, letting them know that it's not enough just to claim the fact that you're a believer in Jesus, rather that you have to turn into a relationship with him and receive the fact That you received something when you turned to him in repentance and was baptized in Jesus' name. A message called, Where's the Power? That Paul ministered to a group of 12 men in Ephesus saying, I haven't seen evidence of the Holy Spirit in your life because I don't see power in your life. And throughout the chapter, we saw evidence of Paul walking in power. That the apostle Paul would walk and, and there were even handkerchiefs placed um, to, to touch him, and when people would touch the handkerchiefs, people were healed, and and, and we talked about this magnific- magnificent display of unusual miracles because Paul was willing to walk in such relationship with God that power was manifested in his ministry and how if we are true believers walking in relationship with God, that there will be power displayed in our life, not necessarily a mimicked p- power, but an unusual display of power in a personal way in our ministries, that uh, power is not necessarily let's replicate a miracle that was done. We see that a lot. We read in scripture that Paul had an unusual miracle of a handkerchief, and it seems like you know, every evangelist thinks if I can just get a handkerchief, put some oil on it, and put a price on it, people will think that'll heal them. Uh, not necessarily that that may not happen ever again, but it's, it's very common that the church tries to make an unusual thing usual. You know, we see healing water, and next thing you know, every church has a, a baptism tank in the stage saying this water is going to heal people. Um, that's If you don't know, that's happening in North Georgia right now. And, and, and a lot of churches think, well, let's mimic the unusual miracle. And, and I think there's something wrong with that. Why, why, why not just seek God and let God do something unusual everywhere that God is so big that we don't have to mimic one thing. He can do many things. I'm I talking to anyone. Amen. Well, Paul was walking in this authority, walking in this power, And if you remember, at the end of Acts chapter 19, uh, we ended last week in verses 21 and 22, and I want to read those again. As he was walking in this authority, it says, Afterward, Paul felt compelled by what? The Spirit. To go over to Macedonia and Achaia before going to Jerusalem. And after that, he said, I must go on to Rome. He sent his two assistants, Timothy and Erastus, ahead to Macedonia, while he stayed a while longer in the province of Asia. Well, here again, we see that Paul was being led by the Holy Spirit. And I know that it seems like that can get a little repetitive, but I don't think that the call to being led by Holy Spirit could ever be repeated enough. Because the fact of the matter is, as much as we say it, there are so many of us who are not led by him. We're not led by Holy Spirit in what we do. We are often led by our own motives, our own passions, and our own desires. And I think it's incredible that Paul... Had the plan, and Paul had an agenda, and Paul had a, a passion. What was his next step? Paul said, I've got to get to Jerusalem, and then I must go to Rome. But it says on his way to Jerusalem, Paul was led by what? The Holy Spirit to make two stops. Where? Macedonia and Achaia. He did have a plan to get to Jerusalem. But he said, on the way to Jerusalem, I'm allowing the Holy Spirit to take me on a detour. So he stops in Macedonia and Achaia. And we find out in Romans chapter 15 why he stopped in Macedonia Macedonia and Achaia. This is what it says in Romans 15, verses 25 to 27. Before I come, I must go to Jerusalem and take a gift to the believers there. For you see, the believers in Macedonia and Achaia have eagerly taken up an offering for the poor among the believers in Jerusalem. They were glad to do this because they feel they owe a real debt to them. Since the Gentiles received the spiritual blessings of the good news from the believers in Jerusalem, they feel the least they can do in return is to help them financially. How many of you know that God's a provider? God provides all our needs. But many times the provision, the thing that God wants to provide for you Comes from you following the leading of the Holy Spirit to a seemingly out of your way place on your path to your destination. Paul said, I'm going to Jerusalem, and he was led by the Holy Spirit to stop in Macedonia and Achaia. He had no idea the reason he had to stop there was because God had something that Jerusalem needed. What did Jerusalem need? They needed money, they needed financial stability. Because they had some struggle. And the Holy Spirit told Paul, stop here. And when he got there, the the church at Macedonia and Achaia were already taking up financial offerings for Jerusalem. And Paul was already headed to Jerusalem. And a lot of times we get so focused on where we're heading that we don't realize if we would just sometimes stop. On a seemingly insignificant detour, you would get equipped with something for the place that you're going to. That God may say, I have this in mind for you, I've got this destination for you, sure, but let me take you on a stop, a pause, a yield, an out-of-your-way place because I've got some things for you there that you need for the destination. We get so focused on the destination that we don't get led to veer off the path a little bit when in reality, that is on the path. But we get so focused on, I'm going here, that we don't allow to be led by the Holy Spirit. And Paul had such a passion, not just to get to Jerusalem, but he wanted to get to Rome. He wanted to get to Rome. How many of you got passions? How many of you got dreams? How many of you got goals? It's not a bad thing to have a passion or a dream or a goal, Paul had a passion to get to Rome. He had a passion to get to Rome because he didn't want to just talk to the the, the seemingly insignificant people. He wanted to talk to the higher up government. He wanted to address them. He had a goal. He had this passion to get to Rome. And he even talks about this passion in Romans chapter one, verses 10 through 15. Look in verse 10. It says, one of the things I always pray for is the opportunity, God willing, to come at last to see you. He's talking to the people of Rome. For I long to visit you so that I can bring you some some spiritual gift that will help you grow strong in the Lord. When we get together, I want to encourage you in your faith, but I also want to be encouraged by yours. I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, that I plan many times to visit you but I was prevented until now. Hmm. I want to work among you and see spiritual fruit just as I've seen among other Gentiles, for I have a great sense of obligation to people in both the civilized world and the rest of the world, to the uneducated and the educated alike, so I am eager to come to you in Rome to preach the good news. Paul had a passion to get to Rome. He wanted to talk to the educated. He wanted to talk to the uneducated. He wanted to talk to the civilized world, to the uncivilized world. He had a passion to get their own. But the thing that we have to get straight, and Paul got it, was that it is not about getting God to align with your passions. It's about getting your passions in line with God's plan. And if you would read that text again, I want to point it out. He says, I've wanted to come to you all along, but there were many things that have prevented me along the way. Sometimes it was things not of God. Sometimes it was the riots. Sometimes it was the stonings. Sometimes it was the enemy trying to stop the mission. But sometimes it was God saying, I know you want to get to Jerusalem, and I know you want to get to Rome, but I need you in Ephesus. I need you in Macedonia. I need you in Achaia. I need you to go back to Ephesus. Oh, I need you to go back to Jerusalem. Oh, I need you to go back to Ephesus again and strengthen. I need you to go here. I need you to go back. I need you to go there again. I need you to go back. I know you want to get to Rome. The Bible says that God knows your hearts. He knows your desires. He knows your passions he knows what you want but it is not about saying God make my dreams come true it is about saying I want to live a life of sacrifice I want to live a life of serving I want to live a life totally obedient and I'm going to trust that God knows my heart and if I would just be totally submissive to him he'll take me into what my heart desires And maybe if you're desiring the wrong thing when you become obligated to him and serving him and sacrificial to his life, maybe the desire would change. Because remember, Paul had a desire that was wrong. What was his desire? To obliterate Christians, and he started killing them. And then through experience and relationship, his desire changed. I no longer want to kill Christians. I want to get to Rome and tell everyone about this Jesus that I used to denounce and blaspheme. His whole desire changed and when he put it before God, he said, I wanted to come to Rome this entire time but it took me a long time because I allowed him to lead me and I think sometimes we get so obsessed with it's taking too long so that must mean I'm failing when God says, you're defining failure as it's taken a long time but I want it to take you a long time because I have so much ministry for you to do on the way, equipping you for a place that you're not ready for yet. There's so many people that want the big crops and the big fruits and the fields automatically. And God says, I want that for you too. So let me take my time. Let me get you there. And in these first two verses of the message, We see two things that Paul needs to accomplish to work. People and finances. But Paul didn't try to manipulate. Paul didn't try to deceive. Paul didn't even try to strategize. Paul says, I'm going to do one thing in this whole process. I'm going to be faithful to being led by God. And in being faithful and being led by God, every Thing he needed was provided on the way. He know he knew he needed to get to Jerusalem. And on the way, finances and people came through being led to make stops through places that he never had planned or strategized to go to. And I think one thing we've had forgotten as a church is how to remain faithful in the times of the unknowing. And the church is really good about let's strategize and plan. But we have forgotten how to just simply listen and follow. Nothing wrong with strategy, but are you willing to be led off the strategy? Are you willing to be led off the plan? For instance, look at Relentless. For those of you that are newer here and haven't been here the entire time, we were in a sanctuary after the YMCA Paying $800 a month, which is super cheap, for something that seated about 500 people. Well, we did a fast that year called Decrease for Increase. Had no idea that God was going to lead our church to come to a facility that was, if you look up again, up up at the top, you'll see a little board that we put up there. There was a wall right here. And our entire church of over 100 people worshiped on a stage that was started right here to that wall. We had all these chairs were crammed into this small space. We had no plan for a kid's area. We didn't have any plan at all. All we knew was God says, you've got no relationships in your church. There's no intimacy with me. And I need you to decrease. And if you'll decrease, I'm going to bring increase. We had no idea that in under a year, what some churches have tried to do for 15 years in these spaces, we got all three of these storefronts within six months and remodeled them within 12. It cost quadruple the amount. And guess what? We did not have the tithe coming in for it. And I, I was sitting down to the leadership, well, let, let's strategize. How can we start bringing in money and all this? And we were like, you know what, did God tell us to go there? And, we, and all of us were in agreement. Yeah, he did. Well, it will come. And show enough, in a facility that people were literally saying, this doesn't feel comfortable, the tithe increased about four or five times as much per week and we still are in a day where we're bringing enough finances to afford everything we have. But were we willing to go seemingly in a failing way because God knew, I know what step five is, but I need you to be faithful in steps one, two, three, and four. Will we be faithful? Luke 16, 10 through 12 says this. If you're faithful in little things, you'll be faithful in large ones. But if you are dishonest in little things, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. If you are untrustworthy about worldly wealth, who will trust you with the true riches of heaven? If you are not faithful with other people's things, why should you be trusted with things of your own? Why would God release stuff out of heaven for you when you can't even be proven faithful with things that are not even yours. You go to a restaurant, and you a straw falls on the uh, 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 a straw falls on the floor, a napkin falls on the floor, and instead of picking it up, the first thing we think is, "Well, I'm going to tip the waiter." That's their job. You go to church. You go to the bathroom. You don't flush the toilet. I can't tell you how many times I come in here on Monday or Tuesday, and there's water bottles all over the floor. And you think, well, someone will get it. And God says, if you can't even pick up after yourself, why would I unlock what I have for you in heaven if you can't manage someone else's things? Why would I give you the riches I have planned for you when you won't be faithful in what you feel like is not yours to be faithful in? Think about the commandments. Honor thy father and mother. If you cannot honor people who you think it's no benefit to you, why would I give you influence over thousands? Love your neighbor. Not love your neighbors that are nice. Love your neighbor. That's not just the people you live next to. That's the people you work with that you talk bad about behind their back. And everyone, they go, "Mm -hmm." (laughs) love your neighbor as your. If you cannot be responsible in being faithful at a simple commandment of love your neighbor, then why complain that God has not brought you to a place where you manage hundreds of people? Do you understand what I'm saying? If you can't be proven faithful in what's not yours, why would God unlock anything to give you? And and Paul is saying, I'm being faithful, and that's why Paul gets to this place where a guy who is probably, it seems like he's one of the most confused people, He's, he's he's a Roman citizen who's... Practicing Jewish concepts, worshiping the Messiah that the Jews don't accept. He's been in jail, he's been stoned, he's almost, some people believe he even died through one stoning. He has gone through the worst of the worst of the worst, and this guy who has gone through it all is getting to a place where he's getting to Rome, all because he's being faithful with little God wants to open the heavens over us. He wants to rain down uh, authority and and he wants the church to be at this place where the heaven is open for us to change our communities. But we're not going to be able to access that level of influence if we can't be faithful with the commandment as simple as not gossip. Why would God ever trust us to change a nation where our kids never hear about God the Father at home from their daddy? God, why don't you change? God, why don't you change? And God says, because you have not proven faithful. Is Is this speaking to anybody? But as the heavens open up for you, people will take notice. People will get mad, and there will be pushback. And we have got to stop believing that following God means you'll never experience a battle. Because if you read this scripture, the more you follow him, the more pushback you're going to get. And we read scripture that says, you know, he'll bring me into peace and he'll lead me beside still waters. What if that means where your focus is in the midst of all the pushback you get? How did Paul stand strong? How did Jesus speak the waves in the midst of a storm? Because when he saw a storm, he saw management opportunity. He didn't freak out. He didn't start, oh, my gosh, what's happening? There's, there, there's turmoil in the workplace. Oh, there's a disease. What will we do? What, put a mask on. What will we do? Not that I'm saying, like, if you want to put a mask on, put a mask on. Like, praise God. But, like, we, we, we all panic and we freak out. And when Jesus gets up in the middle of the waves where water's coming in the boat, all he's, he doesn't even speak to the storm. He, sa- he, he looks at, he looks at the, the environment as an opportunity to manage. He says, waves, be still. Don't be moved by the conditions of the fallen world. And we're so moved by everything that's happening. And the fact of the matter is, if it were not for social media, many of us would not even know any trends about anything going on with the disease, and we would carry on life as usual. Are are, are you hearing what I'm saying? And I'm not trying to be disrespectful here, but at at, at some point, are we faithful to the call of God? Are we faithful to his strength? Are we faithful to how great he is? Or are we faithful to what a fallen world tells us to do? California just told churches to stop singing. The same government who's saying, do this, do that. We have got to get to the point where the church takes a stand and says, we really do believe that our God is stronger. And we're going to stay faithful to that belief instead of saying, God's strong, but just in case he doesn't get it. (laughs) Faithful. What if peace besides still waters is simply, no matter what comes my way, nothing's going to move me. Nothing is going to shift my attention. Where I see chaos, I see management opportunity. Where I see trouble, I'm going to see a chance to change it. I'm not going to respond with running. I'm going to run into it. I'm going to walk into it. When when the people were trying to kill Paul, it was the Christians who were trying to urge Paul, don't go back in. Paul said, I don't care what they're trying to do to me. I'm staying faithful to my call. God has not told me to leave this place yet. And I don't care if they're stoning me. I don't care if they're trying to pull me into a coliseum. I don't care what they threaten me with. I am standing firm in my call. I'm faithful to that. Not their threats. Not their rants. That's all right? So with pushback coming... Paul experiences some pushback. I'm feeling good about this message. Look at verse 23. Well, about that time, serious trouble developed in Ephesus concerning the way. I would imagine at this point, Paul's like, yeah, I saw that coming. It began with Demetrius, a silversmith who had a large business manufacturing silver shrines of the Greek goddess Artemis. Everyone say Artemis. He kept many craftsmen busy. He called them together along with other employed in similar trades and addressed them as uh, as follows. Gentlemen, you know that our wealth comes from this business. But as you've seen and heard, this man Paul, he's persuaded many people that handmade gods aren't really gods at all. And he's done this not only here in Ephesus but throughout the entire province of course i'm not just talking about the loss of public respect for our business sounds like sounds like news and political agenda to me he, 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 it's not just about my business he says i'm also concerned that the temple of the great goddess artemis will lose its influence and that artemis this magnificent goddess worship throughout the province of asia and all around the world will be robbed of her great prestige and at this, their anger boiled, and they began shouting, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. There was a huge temple in Ephesus. And I have some pictures of what the temple looked like. It was a magnificent temple. I didn't show this last night. I added it this morning. Y'all are the Sunday crowd. Y'all get the privilege. <laughs> it's actually regarded as one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. It stood on about 127 pillars, 60 feet high. It was decorated with many amazing sculptures. It and was, It was unearthed in 1869 and finished in 1965. I have a picture of what it actually looks like today. It, it's a real thing. In the middle of this temple, this was the Temple of Artemis. People would come to this temple. This was the treasury site. This is where they would make deposits of, of everything that they had, their money, all these things. It was. It, it, this is where... All the, the stuff happened in Ephesus. Well, in the middle of this temple, there was a, a, a carving of a Greek goddess, Artemis, also known as Diana. And we'll, re, we'll, we'll see the reference later in Acts, but what it was was there was a uh, black meteorite that fell to the earth, and they recognized this as, though this must be a, a, a something from the gods, and they carved a grotesque woman into this rock, and in the middle of this temple, people worshipped the, the Greek goddess Artemis, also known as Diana. Well, Demetrius and a lot of these other business owners, they would be outside this temple, and they were making profit off of what this was. So they would make shrines of this temple, shrines, Artemis, They would make all these trinkets, all these souvenirs, and, and people would come by them because they were obsessed with the worship going on at this temple. So Demetrius made profit. Many would come, and Demetrius got mad because Paul is preaching the word. He's walking in power. He's being faithful, faithful to his call. And what's making Demetrius mad is that it's not just the belief system that's changing. People were so in love with God that the economy was starting to be affected. Let me remind you of two verses last week, 18 through 20. Many who become believers confess their sinful practices. A number of them have been practicing sorcery. They brought their books, burned them in a public bonfire. The value of the books was several million dollars. So, the message about the Lord spread wildly and had a powerful effect. Paul was not on a campaign to close down the temple of Artemis. Throughout all of his sermons and all of his teachings, Paul never even mentioned the name of Artemis or never even spoke against the temple. God never told Paul, Go take down the false idol of Artemis. God told Paul, Go make believers and disciple them. And Paul was so faithful in making believers and discipling them and walking in such a degree of authority and power in his call that naturally when people started to shift their belief system and shift their faith from Artemis to Jesus... The faithfulness of believers and the faithfulness of all these Christians following the call to just be about Jesus, be passionate about God. Guess what happened to the world? People started leaving the temple. The economy started being affected. Business owners started having to close up shop. Why? Not because the Christians had a campaign of close down the temple. Their campaign was, let's worship God. And it was so effective that people left the temple and it closed down all by itself. And what the church has got to get in our minds, let's get off of our campaigns to close down this and close down that and stop this and let's get on the only campaign that we're supposed to be faithful to. Make disciples. Spread the love of God. Show His love. Show His mercy. And if you would do that, all the other stuff would fall because they cannot stand because they have no power and authority to stand by themselves. Just being real, and if this offends you, I don't care. But you, you can go down to Planned Parenthood on Wednesdays and see all these believers protesting. It's no different than if Paul wasted time and went to the temple of Artemis and protested. He said, I'm not going to go there and waste my time. I'm going to develop disciples. I'm going to develop believers. And because I'm going to be faithful to that, if we would be faithful to that, Planned Parenthood can not, it would fall on its own. Why is it that corona has the power to close down the bars, but the church doesn't? Because the church is in it. And we validate it. And I'm not saying it's a sin to have a drink. I'm not I'm not saying that. I I read the Bible, I know what it says. But when we put ourselves in places that is causing others to fall, we're not separating ourselves. And I know that may offend your thinking, and I hope it does, because we have got to start looking a little different. Because we're not changing anything. And if this church declines to four people and we've got to give this building to another church that wants to do their work, that's fine. But if, if, if it gets to where we only have five people that actually look and talk different and we see God and worship God, if that's all that this becomes, I'm fine with that. Because I don't want to be faithful to anything but the call of God. If we would just be faithful in that, everything else would Fall. The economy would change. The social injustices would change. I believe even the climate would change. Oh, you God, you just got spooky. <laughs> what you mean the climate would change? Well, let me show you what Romans 8, 18 through 21 says. Is this all right? Let me show you what Romans 8, 18 through 21 says. Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he revealed to us later. So stop complaining about suffering. Look at the next verse. For all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his children are. Notice, it does not say creation is waiting for God to be revealed. It says creation is waiting for God to reveal who his kids are. Why? Why? Against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children, not just God, God's kids, the sons and daughters, the believers, the redeemed ones, the church, and glorious freedom from death and decay. You want, to, you, want, you want to know why we're getting to a place where it's unbearably hot one day and a cold front the next and Sahara sand is in Georgia? <laughs> you want to know why there's crazy earthquakes one day and blizzards the next? You want to know why everything's unsettled? You want to know why the earth don't know what to do? Because it is literally groaning saying, please put me in order. The way I'm going to get out of my death and decay is when you start walking out of yours. Because if you will just be faithful to your cause of son or daughter, you'd change everything. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son to redeem us. It's not just about us. God doesn't just love male and female. He loves the trees, he loves the soil, he loves the tectonic plates, he loves ox, he loves everything about the world. And he says, the only way I can get this world back is to get the ones that I put in authority over it back. And if I can just get those faithful to my call and not their own, not their own passions, not their own. If I can get y'all to be faithful to the call to just go out and spread the gospel of love and Jesus and the kingdom of God. If I can just get my people to be redeemed and do that, I'll get my world back. Jesus will return when the kingdom is preached throughout the ends of the earth. Is it really being preached? Think about all the stuff with COVID. You have to dig and search to find what the officials are saying about what churches should do. You want to know why? Because it's not worth mentioning churches anymore. Because we've been forgotten. Because we're not doing anything. And churches are closing the doors when we we should be the ones affecting the economy. We should be the ones affecting everything. I I know that this is challenging and maybe getting a little in your face, but at some point we got to say it. Faithfulness is what's going to change it. And in Ephesus, Paul and the believers were so faithful to the work of Jesus that businesses were closing down, shrines were no longer wanted. And people are mad because their pagan god Artemis is losing influence. Now what's happening in the next few verses is kind of funny. Because it's actually a picture of what is going on today. You know how the Bible says there's nothing new under the sun? We're about to read in Acts 19, 29-34 what America's going through right now. Soon, the whole city was filled with confusion. Everyone rushed to the amphitheater, dragging along Gaius and Aristarchus, who were Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia. Isn't that interesting? He stopped in Macedonia and brought two with him. Well, Paul wanted to go in too, but the believers wouldn't let him. Well, some of the officials of the province, friends of Paul, also sent a message to him begging him not to risk his life by entering this amphitheater. So then it describes what's going on in this amphitheater in verse 32. Inside, the people were all shouting. And this is where it gets funny. Some one thing, some another. Everything was in confusion. In fact, most of them didn't even know why they were there. (laughs) Now think about that for a minute. Everyone came together to speak against what was going on. Everyone came together because... Their idol was losing influence. They unified in an the amphitheater, and in the midst of trying to unify for Artemis, there was no unity. It kind of reminds you of well, Black lives matter, blue lives matter, all lives matter, what lives matter. No one knows what they're shouting about anymore. No one knows what to stand for. No one even knows what the debate's about. No one knows where it even came from. No one knows what to do anymore. Because everyone's got something to shout about, but no one knows what to shouting for. They were all in, everything was in confusion. Verse 33, The Jews in the crowd pushed Alexander forward. Why? The Jews did not worship Artemis. But the Jews were unified with the Roman, with the people in the Ephesus about one, about one thing. We don't like Paul. So the Jews are thinking, well, this is a chance to unify. Let's get Paul out of here. So the Jews pushed Alexander forward and said, explain the situation. Well, he motioned for silence, tried to speak, but when they realized he was a Jew, they started shouting again and kept it up for about two hours. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Great Artemis of the Ephesians. Isn't that what happens in today's culture? We shout for racial unity, but when someone of the other race speaks for you, you say, well, you can't identify with us. You don't know what it's like. Get out of here. That's exactly what's going on right now. It's kind of hilarious. All these people come together trying to unify, and unity can't happen. You know why? Because you cannot unify in anything other than the name of Jesus. It can, it, there is no power in it. It cannot stand by itself. And all these people together... Complete confusion, shouting stuff they didn't even know they were shouting. And in the midst of all this, great is the Artemis of the Ephesians, great is the Artemis of the Ephesians for two hours in complete confusion. These believers were standing in this amphitheater. When I read that in this idea of being faithful, I wonder how many of us stay faithful in the midst of shouting when you hear that same thing over and over like you're not good enough you're not good enough or i know you i know your old self i know who you used to be i know what you went through yeah i know you you're fake or how many of us stay faithful when you hear things about opinions about covid or how many of us stay faithful when a leader claims allegiance to a political party, yet you say you're about kingdom and you believe that you don't get a vote, but you're all about pushing a vote. Now, I'm not saying don't go vote. I believe this is the best time to vote. We need a Christian president in office. I don't care if he's a he's perfect man or not. Everyone's got their stuff. But for some reason, we, we are so divided on everything and we have not learned how to remain faithful to the hymn. David wrote about it in Psalm 12, verse 1. Help, O Lord, the godly are fast disappearing. The faithful have vanished from the earth. Now, as I was reading the scripture and I was thinking about where we're at in America, I wonder if God's looking at us going, where are my faithful ones? And you think about what's going on with COVID. And I'm, I'm not speaking against people who are, who may not feel like they can come right now because of social distancing and maybe I am, I don't know. I'm not intentionally doing it. If the Holy Spirit is saying it, let it be said. But think about where we were. Before COVID, full house. And now look. Where are the faithful ones? And you say you're not moved by circumstances. What do you call it? Well, I'm just being safe. Well, at what, at what point is he stronger? I, I, I read throughout the scripture all the time when they, they gather together and it says, When two or more gather, he is there among them. Now, I, I, again, I'm not, I'm not saying that people who aren't here are not godly, I'm not questioning salvation. I'm not questioning belief. But at some point, what are we faithful to? At some point, we've got to draw a line. At some point, we have have to say, do we have more faith in his power or the power of an epidemic? And maybe I'm wrong about that. But maybe I'm not. And I could really care less about how many people stop listening to my podcast. <laughs> Why is it that we're tossed to and pro? Why is it that we're so divided? Because we don't know how to stand in faithfulness anymore. For two hours they shouted, great as Barnabas of the Ephesians. We too easily shift loyalty in the midst of shouting. You see, it's not enough just to proclaim Jesus. It has to be followed with something. It's not enough just to take a stand in the midst of a social thing or a pandemic and say, well, I'm a Christian, Jesus is stronger, and then your actions show that he's weaker. Look at James 2, 14 to 20. What good is it dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith but don't show it by your actions? Well, I don't want to lay my hands on people because they got COVID. I might contract it. Well, the scripture is very clear, like, by the laying on of hands. You can't socially distance healing. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing, and you say goodbye and have a good day, stay warm and eat well, but then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? Unfortunately, I have actually done that in my younger years. I know I'm a horrible person. I was I was y'all y'all let me tell you a story about previous Kyle. I was riding downtown. It was ten degrees outside. I rode by a homeless person in my car with the heat with my friends, and my friends dared me to do something. I rolled down the window, looked at the homeless person. I said, "You cold? Ten degrees." They said, "Yeah." I said, "We warm," and we drove off. Now you might know why I'm so prone to say let's go feed the homeless I'm paying my penance. <laughs> yeah y'all leaving the church now um <laughs> I was I was horrible so you see verse 17 faith by itself is useless unless it produces some good deeds it's dead and useless now someone may argue some people have faith other have good deeds but I say how can you show me your faith if you don't have any good deeds I'll show you my faith by my good deeds. You say you have faith, for you believe that there is one God. Good for you. Even demons believe this, and they tremble in fear and terror. How foolish. Can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? He's saying, it does you no good to say that you believe in a God. Demons believe in a God. Muslims believe in a God. Mormons believe in a God. They believe in some alien being that came down in a volcano and all kind of weird junk. And people actually say, yeah, I'll get behind that. (laughs) But in the same way, think about our belief. Think think about what we believe for a second. An unseen God impregnated a 15-year-old virgin. And she gave birth while Joseph was saying, I didn't do it. And then he grew up, got killed with the worst death, rose again three days later, left after forty days, and here we're weird too. (laughs) But do we? But so shouldn't we look like it? we're looking like everything else we're responding like everyone else because we're not being faithful to what he's called us to do will you remain faithful in your deeds lining up with the allegiance that you claim to have when you hear all these shouts when you hear the government saying you can't come together when you hear the government saying be careful you might get sick as if that's ever changed before I mean, you think you think about what we've been told. Oh, the disease is going to die in ninety-five degree heat. Well, now we're in one twenty degree heat, and now we got spikes. But we believed it. It's changing every day, and we're giving more allegiance to that instead of. And I'm not saying that this disease is 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 fake. But when was the last time we just said, God, what would you want us to do? What if the answer to COVID was coming together and praying it out, but instead we've embraced masks and quarantine? I'm not saying those things are wrong. Maybe Jesus would say that, but why is it that the first reaction was what they said and not turning to him? Why didn't we do that first? And I'm going to be honest with you, I look back at the past 13 weeks when we quarantined and I wonder myself, just being transparent as your pastor, did I really ask God if that was a true thing Well, what we should have done? I can't change it, but I know what we're doing from this point out. We live in a world where it's normal to shout for a sports team scoring a score, but when we come to church, we say, well, I can worship how I want and God accepts my worship in silence. You are kidding yourself. You do not get, God does not accept your worship in silence if you worship your team and shout. Because your team is bigger than your God, no matter how you want to paint the picture. You do not get to use that excuse anymore. Well, God's okay, he, he accepts my worship. No, 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 he sees your worship. Because he sees where you're faithful. Never miss a game. But we'll miss the gathering of the saints. We, we live in a world where we shall. I have the right to do this, and I, I have the right to do that, but God says, can you surrender all your rights to me? And I'll give you more freedom than you've ever experienced before. We, we live in a world where we shout praise about political parties and democracy and God says, well, I want you to live in a government called a kingdom where you get no vote. What are we faithful to? I close with this, Acts nineteen thirty-five through 41. I hope this has been okay. I hope, uh, I hope y'all come back. <laughs> At last the mayor was able to quiet them down enough to speak. Citizens of Ephesus, everyone knows that Ephesus is the official guardian of the temple of the great Artemis, whose image fell down to us from heaven. See, there's the reference of the meteorite. Since this is undeniable fact, you should stay calm and not do anything rash. You brought these men here. Now, here's what's interesting. The mayor says they haven't stolen anything from the temple, and they haven't even spoken against our goddess. You notice what we just saw brought clarity? Paul never came to bring down Artemis. He came to lift up Jesus. And what, what was the response? Artemis fell. If Demetrius and the craftsmen have a case against them, the courts are in session. The officials can hear the case. Let them make formal charges. If there are any complaints about other matters, they can be settled in a legal assembly. I'm afraid we're in danger of being charged with rioting by the Roman government since there's no cause for all this commotion. And if Rome demands an explanation, we don't even know what to say. So he and he, then he dismissed them, and they disappeared. The fact of the matter is, when a true revival arises from the church, a revolution would come from society. And we we can put revival in everything and have great worship services, but if society is not changing and if society is not pushing back, it's not true revival. If you're using the word revival to gain followers to an organization that we've called church. And I'm calling us to a place where we, the believers in body of Christ, become so faithful in our call to walk different, live different, and be different that a revival would rise up. That would affect the economy, affect the climate, affect social injustices. We would affect everything to where the mayor would no longer be making statements about wear a mask. He'd be making statements about The church hadn't done nothing wrong, so please stop rioting about what's going great in their house. Can you imagine that day? Let's go there. But it all starts with one thing. We've got to remain faithful to him and the call to spread the good news of Jesus and the identity that he bought for us as the chosen righteous people of God because faithfulness will change it. Amen.